In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. My Lord and my God, I firmly believe that you are here, that you see me, and that you hear me. I adore you with profound reverence. I ask your pardon for my sins and for the grace to make this time of prayer fruitful. My Immaculate Mother, Saint Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me. All of today's work, all of our activities, our to-do lists, the things that didn't get done, the shopping that still needs to happen, the trips that are on the horizon, the activities that need to be prepared, all of that. Let's just imagine that kind of next to it, there's a little, a little knob for the volume. And we can just reach over and just very intently turn that volume down. We want to turn it down to zero because we want our focus and our attention to be our Lord. Jesus Christ, who's present before us in the Eucharist. Because our purpose is to pray and in these final days before Christmas, to set ourselves aside this time to focus, to focus our attention on Him. And to help us do that, I'd like for us this evening to try and accompany Joseph and Mary. Accompany them as they prepare for Jesus' birth in Bethlehem. Doing as we so often do, using our imagination and our heart to enter into the life of Christ, the life that's narrated to us in the Gospels. And let's try to consider how their focus on the way to Bethlehem during that journey in the middle of hectic motions and encounters and inconveniences and setbacks, how their focus would have been Jesus. Now, maybe that sounds simplistic, right? That their focus would have been Jesus. But essences are simple, and the essence of Christian life is living with Jesus and for Jesus, to be one with him. And if we make an effort in our prayer, guided by the grace of the Holy Spirit and the light and the energy that he gives to our mind and to our heart, we can discover that the focus that they certainly had in these days of preparation is the focus that we want to imitate, that we want to practice, that we want to come to experience ourselves. Understanding that our entire life, our entire Christian vocation is a focus on the person of Jesus Christ. Now, I don't know how universal of an experience this is, but I'm just gonna take a chance and imagine that it's universal enough of packing a suitcase or a case on a trip very carefully and intently with a lot of things. You arrive at your destination, you open that case, and its contents become distributed all over the room for whatever time, amount of time you're there. And then it's time to leave, and it's time to repack that case. In my experiences, I, again, I don't know how universal this is, that suddenly it's multiplied. <laughs> 
suddenly it doesn't fit back in the case anymore that somehow what was there at the beginning has somehow reproduced itself and it just doesn't fit back in and there are different aspects of christian life and there's different aspects of christian life because there's different aspects to life generally there's work there's our family, there's our relationships, there's sexuality, there's our ideals, there's our skill. All these sorts of things are part of Christian life. They're the contents and different aspects, and we can consider them as we do so often in these meditations. But through contemplation and prayer, it's important that we see how all of those aspects refer to Jesus Christ how they all fit within him, our entire life, every facet of it. So that when we try to contemplate Joseph and Mary in the middle of the, uh, all of these circumstances that they're undergoing, we want to try to unpack, if I can use that word a little bit, those circumstances. But as we do it, for us to not lose sight of the fact of in the midst of those many different things, there was an underlying unity because all of those different things were occasions in which they were focused in, on Jesus because they were doing it with him and for him. We're very used to hearing it, but every time we go to Mass, we hear the priest after, at the end of the Eucharistic prayer, once Christ has come down on the altar and the bread and the wine have been transformed into his body and blood, the priest tells us through him and with him and in him. Very familiar phrase. And maybe we get lost in all of those prepositions. But it's, it's, it's a call for us to live this focus that we want to see and accompany with Joseph and Mary on the presence and the person of Jesus. So they make their way to Bethlehem. And as they make their way, very literally, Jesus was with them in Mary's room, womb. And just to consider, as we cast our eye over that journey, Mary mounted on a donkey, Joseph leading her along, a busy road, people coming and going because the census that is the reason why they're making their way to Bethlehem affected everyone. The whole country has been turned upside down. People are leaving where they would normally reside and going somewhere else, welcoming travelers. It's a traffic jam in kind of a first century sense. And in the middle of the shouting, in the middle of jackknifed carts and rearing horses and having to feed donkeys and all of these sorts of things, Jesus is with them. And we can imagine how Joseph, at different moments along the journey, is trying to ensure Mary's comfort and her rest. Yeah. I've never traveled long distances on foot or on a donkey, but I'm sure it's not first class. And Joseph would have been very much aware of his very, very pregnant wife, of her tiredness, of the discomfort of those various moments and doing what he could, his eagerness for her to be as comfortable as possible. 
And Mary, making an effort to not let Joseph see just how tired she was, the physical exhaustion that she would have felt, encouraging him with her conversation, her cheerful gratitude for all of his thoughtful gestures and his anticipating her needs and pointing out the countryside or the conversation of a passerby who he accompanied him on the way. And all the while, in the middle of all of these things, they're focused on Jesus. And by, because they're focused on Jesus, they're necessarily focused on one another. You know, just those, that interaction we just try to imagine there. Joseph's eagerness and attentiveness, Mary's gratitude and appreciation. That harmony, that attentiveness is the consequence of their being focused on Jesus. And I think this very simple formula, if formula is the right word, is something that we would do very well to try to recall in these upcoming days of Christmas. Focus on Jesus is what allows us to be focused on one another. You know, the so-called Christmas spirit, you know, I mean, that can take you so far. Some people, it makes them feel melancholy, actually, and kind of upset or, you know, disconcerted or whatever. You know, the mulled wine can take you so far. But to really experience the joy and the peace of Christmas and not just a nice time with some interesting fun and all of that, which, please God, will have an abundance. But to really be focused on the people that we're with, to forget ourselves and this time that we have with family, with friends, with perhaps meeting other colleagues at work, or whatever the case may be. As Christians, we, we want to experience that as a consequence of our being focused on Jesus, whether because we're making that time for personal prayer, because we're turning our mind to him as we go from one activity to the next. Because just as Mary and Joseph did, we try to make an effort to realize that when we are in a state of grace, he is dwelling within us. As St. Paul says, says, he dwells in our bodies as in a temple. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And they are there to give us the reassurance that it's okay to forget about ourselves. It's okay to turn ourselves inside out in generosity and expectation towards others and what they need. This focus on Jesus, this focus on one another, as I've already alluded to here, all of this happens is they face and experience exactly the same challenges and problems as the other families caught up in the census. The difficulties of travel, the hunger, the frustration, this even, we'll come to this in a second, but even just the resentment of even having to make this journey, right? All of this is happening because it was a bright idea of someone in Rome, you know, some pagan emperor wanting to take a census, the injustice of it, the in-your-face colonial presence of it, 
all of the circumstances that people would have been murmuring about and all of that, they go through it too. And it's a good reminder for us that being with Jesus and acting for him does not have as a consequence you know, going through life in some sort of spiritual bubble you know, where we are unaffected by unpleasant and upsetting things. Now, it's fairly, you know, we can fairly easily accept that when you hear me say it. But what happens in real time on the ground when things go sideways? We have a setback when something annoying happens at work, we have a misunderstanding, when we lose our cool, when we undergo temptations, when all these other sorts of things happen, suddenly we're surprised and we imagine God to be very, very, very far away. But if we try, and this is why it's so important to do it, to contemplate something like the journey of Joseph and Mary to Bethlehem. Jesus in Mary's womb. This wasn't some sort of luminous procession with angels leading the donkey and everyone kind of in hushed, reverent silence as they made their way. It was the, the, the clamor and the rough and tumble reality of first century Palestine. Perhaps a reality, and if we were to experience, our first reaction would be a lot of interior complaining, a lot of wondering when is this going to end, a certain sense of injustice. And as that kind of complaining and movie would be going on, we would be missing the fact that in the middle of all of that, Jesus is with us. And therefore, we, we get a glimpse of, 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 of an important learning of what's involved in focusing on the person of Jesus present in the middle of our lives. But one of the ways and one of the most frequent ways that we distract ourselves from that is through interior complaining. Exterior too, huh? But, you know, <laughs> interior is the biggest. Complaining, the victimhood that comes with complaining, the comparisons and the sense of, of bitterness that comes with that complaining. But if we look at Joseph and at Mary, we see a willingness to simply take things as they are. And instead of rebelling at them, instead of feeling hard done by, they seek to discover in those circumstances, as they come, how can I love in the circumstance? Why should I be doing this in the first place? And that's where the focus is on Jesus. We can think of Joseph, you know, being rejected over and over when asking for a place to stay. There's a, there's a lovely tradition in, in certain parts of Mexico and also in certain parts, parts of South Texas, actually, that are called the Posadas where they have this custom of reenacting. So families or parishes or groups go out, and I've actually seen it done where you get you know, a little girl on horseback and someone dressed up as Joseph, and they follow around, they go from house to house, reenacting the journey to Bethlehem in a very live way, and they're singing, and when you get to a little house, you have a little something, you know, and they celebrate, and you go to another house, and you do these sorts of things. But at each house, there's a symbolic 
turning away of Mary and Joseph until they finally, finally arrive at the end, and there's different ways in which you can celebrate it. But it's one way of bringing to mind, it's, and it's popular piety, bringing to mind this, this experience of Joseph being rejected. Now, leaving aside the popular piety in the Posadas, we can imagine what really happened. Surely, Joseph would have experienced at least frustration. Surely, he would have been angered by all of this especially after explaining and pointing to his very pregnant wife, who was about to give birth, and encountering coldness and indifference. How easy it would have been for Joseph to feel unjustly done with, to complain and to rant, to get himself into a mood, but he was with Jesus and he focused on him and for him and for Mary, he dealt with that anger and chose to react to it, with, to it in a different way. He chose to give, him, give of himself as a chance to love. And in that way, he experiences already before his son is born, the peace and the freedom that Jesus has come to bring into this world. And even as I say all those sorts of things, I think it's fairly easy for us to imagine how during these days of Christmas and all of the craziness of family situations, we are going to have similar chances. Similar chances to get frustrated, perhaps lose our temper. Which can equally be chances, even as we feel ourselves losing our temper, to try and react in a different way. Maybe it's asking for forgiveness. Maybe it's putting aside uh, that critical attitude that we have towards this person or to poor Aunt Betty who's telling the same joke for the 56th time or all the other sorts of things that happen and make up the, the fabric of all of these, these family get-togethers. Christ is there. He's waiting for us to be the people who bear him who carry him into those circumstances. You know, I've already been just kind of skimming around this consideration, but we just imagine how they could have reacted to the decree of the census. And here I'm imagining the possibility of reacting, you know, what, where's God in all of this? How could God allow this to happen? I mean, after Joseph discovering the reality of the Annunciation, after discovering that the child within her is of the Holy Spirit, you know, you can imagine a reaction of, you know, Lord, couldn't you have kind of arranged things a little bit better? Now we have to travel, and this is dangerous, it's exhausting. We have to stay with strangers, we have no clear plan. And here we can just think about the times in which we feel the need to complain about what God is doing. Lord, why do you let this happen? That sense that arises because of the difficulties and the challenges of life, that temptation, or more than temptation, the experience of being angry with God. Why is this happening? To full rights, Joseph and Mary could have felt the exact same thing. 
But of course, as soon as we say it, and as soon as I make that consideration, we, we realize that, that reactions like that just wouldn't make sense in their life. But why not? Why doesn't it make sense in their life? Joseph wasn't some supernatural superhero who was impervious to these sorts of things. Human being just like us in everything. Born, you know, it was, he was not immaculately conceived, suffered temptations. He needed God's forgiveness. But why does it not make sense to us? Imagine them responding in anger and frustration with God. And I think the simple reason is that Joseph and Mary, in that trip to Bethlehem, understood their proper relationship with God. And that is a relationship of dependence, of gratitude, and acceptance. Often when people, and maybe it happens to us, when they speak about being angry with God because of something that's happened, because of something I don't understand, or because I'm frustrated with what's happening in my life, and I just can't pray, Father, because I'm so upset, and why is this happening to me, and I don't understand, and I just can't even look at God. Well, it's an understanding feeling. But maybe the question that should be asked at that point is to say, well, which God are you angry at? Which God are you praying to? Are you by any chance imagining that God needs to get down and make sense to you? That he needs to explain himself to you and just make sure that you know, he's on the same page that you are? explain himself to you so that his wisdom and his goodness can fit inside your intellectual capacity? Because if that's the God you're praying to and imagining, that's not the real God. The real God, the God of Scripture, the God of Jesus Christ who is revealed in his face, who is our creator, the one who loves us is a merciful father, is a God who has created us to receive his life on his terms. And it is our glory and our joy to acknowledge that dependence, to receive it as a gift. Very famously, the book of Proverbs has this phrase where it says, the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. Now, the fear of God referred to is not some sort of cowering horror movie fear, you know, kind of leaping with fright. It's reverence, acknowledgement that I am limited. In fact, I am created. And that for me as a human being, as a, as a completely unique individual, unrepeatable, my glory is to depend on him. Any other relationship that I could experience in this earth, that dependence is not healthy. We depend on one another in a lot of different ways, but we need to have in those relationships a certain independence, a certain autonomy. But the highest expression of my autonomy is paradoxically depending on God. And Joseph and Mary making their way to Bethlehem in those circumstances with that reverence 
we're able to experience that peace, that mutual self-giving consequence of their self-forgetfulness because they were very willing, in fact, eager to acknowledge their dependence on God. So just to ask ourselves, as, as we're trying to pray now, am I willing to let God be God? To let Him be the one who leads me? To be the one who, who, who guides me and that it is on His terms and that that is where I will find my peace and my happiness? This is the wisdom that we see in the, the journey of Joseph and Mary in a very confusing plan. And, and it gets, it'll get even more dramatic when they have to go down to Egypt with the slaughter of the innocents. The baffling mystery of evil introduces itself precisely in this miraculous moment of Jesus' birth. No greater scandal for the human mind to believe in God than the suffering of the innocent. No greater mystery, well, no greater mystery, one of the great mysteries, human understanding, the suffering of the innocent. And in the midst of all of that, Joseph and Mary let God be God. And that's their wisdom. And it's part of the wisdom that we want to learn and experience in these days of Christmas. And finally, just the many things we can consider about and try to imagine, and I'm just saying these things hopefully as a spur for your own personal prayer and maybe at other moments in the days before leading up to Christmas, just as a theme or a topic for your own prayer. But another thing that we could consider is that in that journey, in that time that they spent together, Joseph and Mary certainly had moments of silence. Not the awkward silence of we don't know what to say anymore and just kind of looking down at the ground, but the silence of interiority, of being at one without having to put it into words. Not being on the surface, not being overstimulated by constant running and hither and this and the senses and everything else, but interiority. Moments of prayer. And that silence and that, that prayer would have taken place precisely in the middle of that difficult and stressful situation. Whether it was on the road, whether it was uh, the, the shouting and the things going on or staying in, a, in some shepherd's cave on the way or when they finally make it to Bethlehem or in those circumstances that were far from optimal by any stretch of the imagination, precisely as they were able to find silence. They were able to find it because they made it happen. And just for us to consider, you know, as we, we're coming into this, this time of Christmas, if we've become strangers to silence through the habits that we pick up, that we're always listening to something, that we're always talking, that we're always checking something, that somehow not much time goes by without some new bit of information, something else that comes into our, calls our attention, something that we can think about or direct our attention to. If we become strangers to silence, well, 
Let's try to introduce ourselves to it, bit by bit. The back of our mind, we have O Silent Night maybe playing in the, the back of our minds. It'll be the soundtrack for this, <laughs> this effort to have moments of silence, even just a few minutes. But not only exterior silence, you know, maybe turning off the radio when you're driving to, to poor old Aunt Betty's house or whatever the case may be, but interior silence as well. That silence on the inside when we turn our attention to God who is with us. So many saints, so many people in the history of our family, the church, have discovered in that simple consideration that God is within me, an abundant source of courage, of peace, and of joy. And it's important, I think, it's essential actually, that in these days of Christmas, we, we intentionally make that effort to step back from everything else, to quiet things down on the inside, to turn down the volume, and let God be God. And just be with Him. To contemplate Him. As the newborn infant is born, to feel His warmth, to touch Him, to allow our affections and our mind and our heart run free with the reality of God who has come so close as an infant. And to be absolutely certain that that's not sentimental, pious imaginings, but it is us immersing ourselves in the very fabric of reality, the truth of things. It's not escapism, it's realism. That's what prayer brings us, a prayer in which we are not afraid to be silent to contemplate as we let ourselves be contemplated. And yes, it's possible to do this in Christmas, but it won't happen automatically, of course. We have to look for the times, we have to look for the opportunities, and if we make those times, even if it's a few minutes, even if it's going out of our way, just like Joseph and Mary, that effort to focus on Jesus will free us to focus on the others to experience that, that wonderful self-forgetfulness that is a consequence of love, the consequence of self-giving. So let's ask both of them, Joseph and Mary, to intercede for us so that we just get even a glimpse of the joy that they experienced on that first Christmas day because that's the joy that we want to celebrate as we do it in all the other ways that we enjoy with the huge meals and the celebration and the family and yes, the gifts and all the rest. But that what, what brings to life all of those circumstances is this real inner joy that God is with us. Thank you, my God, for the good resolutions, affections, and inspirations you communicated to me in this meditation. I ask your help to put them into effect. My Immaculate Mother, Saint Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me.